710 on your dial. Saunders, Milwaukee, <laughs> 49, said her husband has been missing since he walked out the door in 1962 in search for a beer. So now he says, I'm going out for a beer, baby. And uh, he just never come back. So she's now getting a divorce. Here's another that was in Milwaukee. And uh, the judge, uh, as you know, they make a lot of beer in Milwaukee. The judge says, you know, it shouldn't take nine years to get a beer in Milwaukee. Obviously, there's something. <laughs> Whatever that guy is tonight, <laughs> I hope he found his beer. <laughs> but uh, uh, we have another little note here. Let's see. Uh, animals, of course, are causing people trouble these days. Uh, uh, everywhere around the world. Animals, you know, you, we, we think that only man is changing, of course. But uh, animals have been changing tremendously. And uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, in many ways that they find that in, in uh, Africa, for example... Uh, uh, animals have been acting differently than they have up to this time. Like eating people when ordinarily they didn't, and you know, various other goodies. But uh, for those of you who are curious about what's happening, uh, the Navy has been uh, sending out uh, all kinds of uh, distress signals that uh, just recently they have discovered that 90% of the major ships of the U.S. Navy are now totally infested with cockroaches. Millions of cockroaches. And uh, that uh, it was uh, up to this point. They knew there was a few around, but now it's a whole big thing. So everything is changing everywhere. And I, I'd like to salute a goat here in Houston, a goat uh, in, a, in an amusement park in Houston. 
He says, uh, this goat is really causing trouble. For example, the uh, head man out there, Bill Ellsworth, according to the note here, says, we quote here, he says, this goat ate a $10 bill uh, that uh, just was accidentally dropped by a visitor. The goat grabbed it and ate it up. And uh, as he was talking on the phone about this goat, a uh, guy says, quick, Ellsworth, the goat is now eating the telephone wire. Of the telephone <laughs> well uh, I, I I just I just want to just want to say that I oh, the only reason I'm bringing this up is that if you think man is is going to hell in a handbasket what is a handbasket by the way I've heard that expression many times man is going to hell. you mean you've ever heard that expression man is going to hell in a handbasket well uh I, I uh, just wanted to uh, bring to you as part of our vast public service programming since uh, Christmas is now just over the horizon, and already you can probably feel in your own gut the uh, Christmas anxiety, which is beginning to grow. Uh, practically uh, every every Christmas, I can uh, almost every day, like for the last two weeks before Christmas, I hear the two things: "Hey," in the elevator. Some guy says, "Hey," you know, it just doesn't seem like Christmas this year. Now, how many times have you heard that in your lifetime? All right, you just figure out every year that you've been alive, and that's how many times you heard it, right? <laughs> every year. You know, it's funny about this year. Just uh, Christmas doesn't seem like Christmas this year. And uh, the, that, that you hear. The next comment you hear also is this one, often by the same guy. You know, I'll be glad when the holiday season is over. Uh, return back to normal. I, you know, I, I, I know it's not popular to say it, but... Uh, I, I'll be glad when it's all over, you know. How many times you heard that one, right? That's right. The same number of times you heard the first one. So I suspect that there are great stresses in our in our inner psyche at any time that a major holiday is approaching. And I have my suspicions why. <laughs> I'm letting that soak. <laughs> Herb, will you please? <laughs> so tonight, as part of our vast public service programming here on this uh, totally involved uh, medium of communication, we would like to take the uh, opportunity to salute the infinite complexity of man's inner psyche. Or God knows where it'll all end. Hold it there now, hold it there, hold it there. Yeah, for example, a guy just, I just got a letter here from a guy, he says, this is letter night, he says, I don't know what's happening, Shep, I don't know what's happening in this world anymore. The other day while I was cutting out of school, I saw this guy lift up the hood of his car, open a bottle of Diet Pepsi, and pour it into his radiator. Diet Pepsi. Uh, what is there in this? <laughs> is, there, is there some unusual qualities of Diet Pepsi I don't know about? But that's true. He says, there it is. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe if you're a, a backyard chemist, you may tell us what Diet Pepsi does in your radiator. I don't know. But uh, uh, it is happening everywhere. And I have a note here. Now, I don't know whether this is a gag or not. Now, I, I just, I mean, the name is a gag. That uh, somebody sent me this clip here, and and I and I might, I, 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 this, there's no, 
I, I know the Wall Street Journal just did a big piece on me. I admit it. And uh, I, I take, uh, you know, there it is. But some guy in, the, in today's mail just sent me this clipping out of the Wall Street Journal, which is a totally different story. And I want to I I read part of it to you because, you know, the minute I started to read this thing, I thought, oh, my God, is that true? Oh, man. It's a story that says Christmas is coming. So be of good cheer and keep your guard up. And here's the uh, subtitle. You may end up hitting a fist with your jaw and eating your meal through a straw. Okay, and it's written by Jeffrey A. Tannenbaum. Now, that's what I think is the gag. Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, you know, oh, Tannenbaum. It's one of those nutty coincidences. Though guys tend to... I've seen a thousand coincidences with names like that. Like, uh, what better name for a plunging fullback than Ronnie Bull? And that's, that's the name of a fullback that plays pro football, right? Ronnie Bull. <laughs> There's thousands of names of that type. But uh, here's the piece. It says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yup, Merry Christmas. Increasingly these days, that is the holiday message folks are exchanging. That's because, increasingly these days, folks are greeting each other through broken jaws and teeth wired together. Now, why is that? Well, it's Christmas time. And that's the time of the year when a lot of guys seem to hit other guys in the fist with their chins. Now, you may doubt that, but a painstaking survey of merrymakers, oral surgeons, and most important bartenders reveals that without a doubt, more people get socked in the chops by other people at Christmas than on Groundhog Day or St. Swithin's Day or St. Patrick's Day or any other day of the year. Did you know that? That is a fact. More violence around at Christmas time. In, you know, in bars and stuff. Not, not just the uh, robbing type violence. I'm talking about just guys hitting other guys. Boy, he says there's something about all the frivolity and eggnog that brings out the violence of people. <laughs> Mused Kenneth Callahan, a Cleveland oral surgeon who has laid in a lot of equipment, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of cat gut and stuff for so, uh, sewing up guys and stuff. He's laid in a lot of material. He's all ready for his big Christmas rush. He says, it's the biggest time of the year for jaw fractures, said the good doctor. He's got all his stuff laid out. He's waiting for him to start coming in. Dr. Callahan is, of course, a man dedicated to alleviating the sufferings of his fellow human beings. And you might think he'd take all those broken jaws seriously. You might think that. Unless you heard him describing some of the cases he's treated. Do you want to hear some of the great Christmas cases the doctors treated? He recalls with particular relish the patient who came in two years ago after a brawl during a game of pinball bowling. The barroom game, wherein players slide a metal puck along a table at the pins. You've ever seen that? Slide that little puck along there. The man's assailant, the doctor says, quote, knocked out the four front upper teeth with the bowling puck, and he left the two eye teeth. It looked just exactly like a 7-10 split. Then <laughs> he knocked the guy down and went after the spare with his foot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be so funny. <laughs> Listen to this. Other oral surgeons around the country share Mr. Callahan's bent for sports analogies. Dr. Kenneth Klein of Wheeling, West Virginia, who says he's always up to his elbows 
in busted jaws during the holidays. If you know anything about wheeling, they got a lot of those year in and year out, but it gets better at Christmas. Uh, he likes to tell of a patient he got last year. This is last Christmas. The patient had a knife. Unfortunately for him, the other guy had a ball bat. And we quote, <laughs> they met in the alley in back of their houses, and the guy with the ball bat won. He hit a three-bagger across the other guy's face, Dr. Klein says. Now, you may think you'll avoid a broken jaw this year by being nonviolent. You know, a lot of people think if they're nonviolent, nothing will happen to them. Good luck. <laughs> That's a good line. It says, good luck. Dr. Callahan tells of a steel salesman who got tanked up at an office party last year and decided to deck his boss. The man's wife managed to get her husband away from the office before he landed a blow, but she took him to a bar where then he broke her jaw with one blow. He felt she got what she deserved for popping off, the doctor says. Oh, man, that's not uncommon. Sometimes the husband hits the wife at home, says Dr. Klein of Wheeling. Of course, they say she simply fell down the stairs, and even though there's an impression of his ring on the side of her cheek, usually the truth is that she fell down the stairs when he hit her. That's the way it actually worked. Ted White... Ted White Eyes, a Sioux Indian, who was almost as much an expert on bone-crunching blows as Dr. Klein, agrees that Christmas time is the best time of the year for losing teeth. Mr. White Eyes is a bartender at a Cleveland saloon called Hillbilly Ranch. Stay out of that joint, I'll tell you. Fights break out there almost every night of the year, but during the holiday period, it gets worse, he says. Customers, and we quote, keep taking pills and drinking, and pretty soon they're out of their mind, and they start blowing each other away with fists, knives, bar stools, or whatever's handy, including beer bottles. Mr. White Eyes isn't predicting how this Christmas will turn out, but he says the highlight of last Christmas, when he was setting them up in a Christmas in the Chicago Tavern, was the time an unruly patron, quote, wouldn't leave, so I helped him out by whacking the man in the jaw with a ball bat and calling an ambulance. Breaking somebody's jaw with your fist isn't easy. You have to hit a guy who doesn't know what's coming says Kenny, a husky construction worker who hangs out at the hillbilly ranch between hitting people. Kenny allows that although he has landed solid blows on a dozen or more jaws, he has managed to break only two of them, not counting his own. Somewhere in Tennessee, he recalls, my jaw got caught between a knee and a banister. I sure got tired of, of drinking milkshakes through a straw, which I did for many weeks afterwards. <laughs> his jaw got caught between a banister and a knee. Indeed, a broken jaw is more memorable than, say, a broken arm. It usually requires a few days in the hospital, regular visits to a jaw doctor thereafter, and walking around with your upper and lower teeth wired together for weeks. Hell of a good way to go on a diet, says J. Donald Hensler, an oral surgeon in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, Hollidaysburg is, of course, a suburb of Altoona. The safest bet may be just to stay home from December 1st through the New Year's. Uh, just, you know, hole up. Marvin, a Cleveland systems analysis, was driving home from work a few days before Christmas two years ago when another car almost sideswiped him, and Marvin was forced to drive into a tree. Then three men piled out of the other car and hurried toward Marvin. Quote, I presume they were walking back to see if I was hurt, Marvin says. Marvin presumed wrong. The three, quote, proceeded to use me for a punching bag Broke his jaw. Even now, Marvin says wonderingly, I have no idea whatever why the beating occurred. 
Marvin had to spend Christmas watching his family eat turkey while he sucked the milkshake and soup through a, through a straw. Sometimes you can break a guy's jaw and never know it. A Cleveland accountant recalls the time two years ago when an off-duty cop working as a parking lot attendant told him his car's muffler was too loud. I hit him in the mouth with my fist. <laughs> Says the accountant. Then I kicked him about five times in the face. I don't know if his jaw was broken, but it sure was hanging funny. But that's unusual. Authorities say most broken jaws are jaws that are well soaked in booze just prior to the breaking. And booze is more prevalent around Christmas, explains a New York psychiatrist, because people, quote, have a longing for love and warmth. Uh, however, there's another thing, by the way, is uh, guys get broken fingers. It's a big time for broken fingers because you missed the guy and hit the wall and you bust a finger. So, uh, now, you know, it's funny reading this because I'd always suspected it. Have you ever seen any action on Christmas yourself? Well, I'll, I, one, of, one of the great, I'm, I'm serious, one of the great uh, educational moments that I had in, in my life was one of the very first jobs I had. And they had a Christmas party, an office Christmas party. And I was just a kid, saying I was, I, was uh, <laughs> I was an office boy in this place. And, and naturally, you know, I thought, gee, Christmas party's kind of groovy. Everybody sits around and has, uh, you know, Santa Claus comes in and gives us a new pencil sharpener and all that, you know. Uh, the office Christmas party. Well, I, there I am at, the, at this party. And, uh, and it started out, now, I, I, I'm sure that somebody listening to me right now, somebody has had a terrible experience at a Christmas party. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to describe an actual scene that I saw in a Christmas party and it's so classical now, you know, as I've been to other Christmas parties now, I realize, I'm talking about office Christmas parties, it is a very, very typical scene. And, and this is exactly what happened. If you, if you happen to work in a place where there's only two or three people, they don't have office parties, like a big office Christmas party. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether you're missing something or not, but I, I, suspect, I suspect that you are. I, I think it's one of the great uh, folk uh, festivals. The office party is a separate kind of party. It really doesn't have much to do with, uh, you know, parties like you have at home or, or the party down at the bowling alley. I'm talking about office parties. Now, to begin with, if you, if you spend much time and have spent any time in an office, you know that there's a very, very complex social involvement between the people in the office. And it's like an iceberg that only one tiny bit of it shows above the uh, level surface of the water, right? And, uh, <laughs> and a lot of it, if you're really innocent, you don't even know exists. You know, you just think, uh, you know, a lot of guys come to the office and then they go home at night. Well, I'm not so sure, you know, that, that there's all kinds of involvements, and a lot of it involves women. Now, almost every office has a large, a large contingent of girls that range all the way from the elderly blue-haired ladies who work, you know, for 45 years in Mr. Gutstop's office with those little yellow cards, or they range all the way down to those fantastic chicks in the pool, you know, the steno pool, 
who've just, uh, you know, come come cooling into this place, and man, you know, they get glands coming on top of their glands, you know. <laughs> so so you get you get some complex situations. Well, there I am. See, I'm I'm working in this office, and I'm just an office boy, and uh, I come in every day, and every day I'd uh, I'd sort the mail. And uh, every day at a certain time, I was about 16, every day at a certain time, I would go to this mimeograph machine. Well, actually, it was a ditto machine. You know, there's a ditto machine, a mimeograph with the gelatin rolls and stuff. Yeah. And I used to, I used to work on this, uh, this uh, I could work this mimeograph machine and I could work the ditto machine. And I would turn out the morning report that came down from some other office and was all uh, made in this ditto ink. And I would make all these, you know, you have a whole routine, see. And every day at 10 o'clock, I would go into to a Mr. Snyder's office, and Mr. Snyder would say the same thing to me every morning. He was the big boss there. See, Mr. Snyder had, had this uh, unapproachable, eerie, eerie he lived in, like an eagle. And uh, he, he had this great big desk, and he would sit behind this enormous desk, and he was always on the phone. And his desk would always impress me. He had absolutely nothing on it. It was absolutely clean. He was one of these executives who... Uh, let all the detail work. His, everybody in his office did all the work, and he he would sit there at his desk and always call up. And about every day at two o'clock, he would leave and uh, not come back anymore. He was really important, say Mr. Snyder. And every morning, I would come in at ten, and I would put Mr. Snyder's mail on the desk of the girl who worked for him, who was named Evelyn. Okay, the plot is beginning to thicken, right? And uh, Evelyn, uh, of course, you know I was only sixteen, so I. Evelyn just was this tall blonde girl, and uh, I'd come in every morning and I would lay the mail on the in basket of his uh, little desk there. Her, her actually the girl's desk, and she had this intercom that would go into Mr. Snyder's office, and she was like in the front of his office. So every day she would be sitting there doing her nails. She did a thing like every morning. This is this is how office life gets to be very complex, and everybody has his own little way of doing things. So every morning. She is sitting there at exactly the time I came. It was like she timed it. She's doing her nails. She's got this little thing. She's buffing away with her nails, and she's got her nail polish out. And uh, I would come in, and I'd lay the mail on the desk, right? And uh, she would just look up at me and never say anything. She never said a damn thing to me one way or the other. She'd just look, sort of look up, and she'd go back to brushing her nails because she paid no attention to office boys. Well, Mr. Snyder, sitting in his office, he always had his door open at that hour of the morning because... At 10 o'clock in the morning, Mr. Snyder would have his coffee. So he's sitting in there, and he's got his coffee, and sometimes there'd be another guy in the office, but generally he's just sitting there, and he's, he's looking at the paper. He read the paper in the morning, so he's looking at the paper, and he's got his coffee. And he always said the same thing every morning to me, every morning. And he thought it was funny. I don't know why certain guys pick up a phrase they think is funny, like, uh, hot enough for you? <laughs> you know, certain guys will say that all the time to you. Uh, but Snyder would every morning say this. He'd say, moaning, good moaning. Now, he wasn't from the South, but he thought it was very funny to say, good moaning. And he would say that, good moaning. Then he would laugh. And I, I was supposed to laugh, so I'd say, good morning, Mr. Snyder. Good moaning, good moaning. And uh, he'd go back to reading his paper, and I'd go out. Okay. So every morning, it was Mr. Snyder and Evelyn. Then I would go down the down the office uh, corridor, they had a corridor, and all the other little offices would open up, and I would go in and to this other office. There was a guy in there named Mr. Clevenger. Now you want to hear the, the this? Now we're getting complex. In Mr. Clevenger's office, 
these guys apparently had something to do with sales because all the mail that they had uh, that would come would say something like Clevenger Sales. Uh, there were he had about six other guys in the same office. He Clevenger Sales. So I I guess they had something to say, but they were always sitting around in there in their office, and they're on the phone and they they're uh, they're dictating stuff. And I would come into Clevenger's office, and there was a girl sitting in there, and uh, her name, in case you're curious, was Dorothy. So Dorothy is sitting in Clevenger's office, and I would give her the mail. Now Dorothy was not the same as as, as Evelyn, and uh, there were all these different girls, but. Dorothy now was a dark, short girl who looked kind of uh, sneaky. And she's sitting there all the time every morning when I'd come in, and uh, she'd, uh, she'd look up at me, and uh, she'd say every morning something funny. She always was saying funny things, and I never could, knew how to feel them. You know, when you're a kid, you don't know when you're being put on or not. And she'd say something funny like, oh, that's a very nice jacket. And she'd start to laugh. I thought, oh, you know, somehow I felt like she's always putting me down. Well, Clevenger would get the mail. I'd get, I'd put the mail on on the desk, and Clevenger would get his mail. Well, I would make my route like that all every morning from about nine o'clock, from the time I got the mail to about uh, quarter to twelve. I'm handing out these little forms, and uh, and speaking of rats, oh, it was a rat's nest, terrible. This is W O R New York, and. Uh, before we do anything else here, we got a note from the uh, Christmas Fund here. It's the uh, W.R. Christmas Fund, if uh, you're wondering about whether you can send Times Square Station, New York. And, uh, hey, listen, another, another uh, please, don't don't keep sending me these letters about this. I can't, uh, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it, I repeat. No, I, I, I have to make this public announcement. People keep writing to the station and asking me, to order them a book. Now, of course, it's Christmas time. Apparently, a lot of people want a book before Christmas time, and they write to me and they ask me, "Well, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not in the business, and and uh, there's no way that I can get a book to your bookstore." So all I can say, if you've gone into your bookstore and they tell you they cannot get a copy of Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories, don't write to me. Tell them why not. And if he says, well, I never heard of it, go to a bookstore where they know about books. It's, uh, it's Doubleday, and it's a national seller. So if they don't have it in your store, that's because you go to a bad store. And that's all I can say. Please don't write to me, though. I can't answer the letters, and thank you for your comments, but I can't. All right. You know, <laughs> I, I just can only tell you that that, that was a trauma, that, that whole thing, because I had worked in this office for like, oh, you know, for months. And I went to, say, I, I, I only worked in a summer. I got this summer job. And I worked there all that summer. And I got to know all these people. And, but they seemed very official to me. They were remote. And not really remote, because, you know, there's a certain jovial attitude, too, in offices. You know what I mean by, there's a kind of, uh, how are you, buddy? Hello, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Oh, boy, Wow. How are you, Charlie? You're getting fat, Charlie. <laughs> you know. In other words, there's a certain kind of uh, uh, a life in the office. That's all I can say. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a little closed society, and everybody knew everybody else, and the, sort of, but not really. And they had these different departments, and I was the one guy that sort of linked them, because I would come in at at nine in the morning, and I would take the mail immediately, start separating it, and then I would take. Uh, the, there was always an, a, a an envelope for me 
from it was never really addressed to me. It just said uh, duplicating. See, I was duplicating, and uh, there was this brown envelope that said duplicating, and in the in the envelope was a folded up two sheets of ditto typed paper. In other words, it was it was typed to be used as for the uh, for the ditto machine. And I didn't even know what this stuff was. It was a long list of numbers. It uh, just a lot of long list of numbers of of, uh, of production and uh, stuff and various departments. All, it just was total Greek to me. But all I had to do every morning, immediately after sorting the mail, was to break out my my ditto machine, and I would put this thing on the ditto machine, and I would turn out 47 copies of each of the two pages. Chicka, 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 chicka. I'm turning them out, see? And as you go down further down the, down the turning out, as I, as I run the machine, it would get fainter and fainter. Until finally the 47th copy was sometimes so faint, it just looked like a little, uh, <laughs> you know, you couldn't even read it. But it didn't matter. I made 47. I'd count them. Tick, 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 tick. And because the counter was broken on my ditto machine, it never counted. So I had to count exactly 47 sheets then I would count out 47 sheets of the next one. Then I would take out my sta- my little my little uh, uh, staple machine, a little staple, say. And I would sit there at my little desk, a little metal desk, and I would take these two and I would clip them together, page one to page two. I, you know, I working away there. See, and every morning I would make this little two-page bulletin. At which point I would stack up all these little bulletins. And I would put it in my, my mail basket, which I carried around, including all the mail, which was all sorted. And I would put one of these little things on everybody's desk that I would deliver mail to. They would get one of these things. And I would notice that on at least half of the places where I would give them this thing, they never even looked at it. It would, it would arrive on the desk, and it would lay there, and it would be there the next day until finally there would be about 15 of them all piled up, and then they'd throw them away, see? <laughs> start out again. So it was at that point that I began to suspect the futility of most of the work that most of us do. You know, 47 of these things I would turn on, I, pro- I would guess probably three people would read them. So why didn't I just make three every morning? <laughs> you know, but you know, that's the office. So uh, every morning I would, and you don't question these things when you're a kid. You, know, you sort of do it. So every morning I got my little mimeograph things and my ditto machine has been red hot and I got the little ditto papers all clipped together and I have all the mail. And also my job was to stop by every, and this was after lunch then, I would stop by and they would give me a, an order for the stationery department. The office had one central place where they kept all their supplies, like paper clips, rubber bands, yellow pencils, number two, uh, Eberhard Faber. Uh, oh, I knew all of, I knew all, all the stuff, you know. Number three, ditto paper. Number five, Mimeo. Uh, and I'd get these Mimeo rolls and all that stuff. And then I would have to go down three stories down in the building to this guy that was in the stationary department. He had a cage. And uh, I would come up to him, and every day he would say the same thing to you. Now what? He thought that was funny. He'd say, now what? And I'd go, <laughs> how are you, Smitty? Now what? Let's see. Let's take a look at it. He was always bugged because I would bring these orders down. And he'd take a look at the sheet, all the stuff written down. Say, okay, all right, hey, Heine. And uh, he would hand it back to Heine, and I would wait for about 15 minutes, and then they would finally push it out the side of the cage, a little door. They'd push it out, and it's on a cart. And had all this paper and stuff. 
And I would then push the cart into the freight elevator after having signed that I got all the stuff, and up I would go. At which point, then I would take it over to, to this other guy, whose name, by the way, was Grant, Mr. Grant. And I would push my little cart over to Mr. Grant's place, and Mr. Grant would take all the material that I had ordered, checking it all off carefully, swearing all the time because they never sent him enough rubber bands, and uh, that would be one of my afternoon chores. Every day I did this, okay? You got, <laughs> how many of you recognize this kind of routine? See? So I kind of I dug it. I liked working there, and, and uh, I got along you know, with everybody, and everything was fine. And now it is, it is uh, fall, and I go back to school. And it's like the office disappeared. It just no longer exists. I'm back in school. Well, I'm going to school every day, every day I'm going to school. And the, I, the office sort of receded back into my, my memory and kind of disappeared. I just, you know, that, that was last summer. That was the thing I did last summer. You, you just don't remember it, see. Well, all of a sudden, I come home one day. It was about uh, like a week before Christmas. See, and, and, and it's just about Christmas vacation time. We used to have Christmas vacation would be like three days before Christmas. And uh, they let us out of school for two weeks, which was fantastic. <laughs> two weeks. And uh, so it is just about that time. I come home from school. It's about a week before Christmas. I'm still in school now. I come home, and uh, there was all kinds of... My mother, by that time, had the Christmas cards that began to arrive. You know, she'd put them up on, on the windows, and she'd tack them up on the doors and that kind of stuff. And uh, there was always a big pile of mail on the, on the dining room table. My mother says, hey, there's a letter for you there. You got a card. I said, oh, I got a card. Because, you know, I used to get cards once in a while, like a teacher would send out a Christmas card to all the kids in her class and that kind of stuff. And uh, I didn't think anything of it, just another card. But it was, it was, it was stiff. It was like a, like a Christmas card. It was one of those big white envelopes, stiff, saying there was my name on it. So I just wiped, I opens it up, and I pulls it out, and it said that the office, <laughs> the office of Amalgamated Whippersnapper Corporation, is having its annual Christmas party, and we would, uh, we are pleased to invite you to be uh, one of the celebrants at the Christmas party, which is going to be held at the Bright Kentucky Hotel in the Orange Gentian Room at 7 p.m. December 23rd, just two days before Christmas. See, it's 7 o'clock, and it says, Come one, come all, have a good time. And there was little Santa Clauses all over it, see. So I, I gee, you know, <laughs> I hadn't, you know, here I am, see. I says, hey, Ma. She says, what? I says, hey, Ma, I'm invited to a Christmas party. She says, oh, really? She says, uh, Flick's house? I said, no, look, Ma. And she looks at this thing. She says, oh, the office, the office where you worked. I said, yeah. Gee, uh, I think I'll go. She said, oh, yeah, you know, absolutely, you should go to that. That, that. that sounds like fun. I'll probably have a Santa Claus and everything. <laughs> well, my mother, as far as I know, has never been to an office Christmas party, see? So I had never either. This is the first time it ever happened to me. So now I got my invitation to go to the Christmas party, right? Well, I, I figure, well, uh, you know, the thing you do, you get all dressed up. And, and uh, so I did. I, the, the night arrives, and it's really a cold, bitter night. Because, man, I want to tell you, out in the Midwest, certain, certainly around the Great Lakes, that uh, Christmas time, that's when the winter really starts getting mean. Uh, and, and I mean mean, really mean. In fact, one of the worst nights that I can ever remember, ever, fantastic night, was the night a tremendous storm hit. When I was a kid, I must have been about, oh, probably 10 or 12, 
And it's historic. Even to this day, they, it's, a, it's kind of a historic storm. But it was one of the great storms of the year. And in fact, of many years, hit on Christmas Eve. And it was so fantastic that I can remember looking out of the window, and it was, it was a sleeting, uh, tremendous snow, sleep, wind, really an evil night, but colder than, I mean, really cold. It was like uh, down around zero, and this fantastic uh, freezing sleet is coming down. Well, can you imagine looking out of the window? We had, or rather, there were high-tension wires. This uh, town had some, you know, these big towers went through, and big high-tension wires, that, that everybody was unbelievably scared because this this ice and the sleet and the wind was so devilish and had was so so evil that the that the high tension wires were getting loaded with ice. You could see the high tension wires were so thick with ice they looked like they were about eight inches across, and it was breaking. The the high tension wires would break, and you'd see this great flash in the sky, just boom, this big fantastic blue flash, and you'd see these these wires exploding uh, coming down out there across this uh, across this field. And, in fact, uh, it got so so dangerous that uh, at least a half dozen people were electrocuted that night because this these wires would fall down and the ground was wet and people were just simply electrocuted walking around on the ground. Well, it was wild. So this time of the year, it was it was really pretty rough. And and I remember going out and saying, I, I, I'm all dressed up now. I'm really dressed up. I've got my... I got my uh, my new uh, my new sport jacket, and I've got my my new corduroy slacks, and I'm wearing a tie and a whole bit. And I and I got in the haircut because you know after all I'm going to the office party. It's very it's a very official party, so I have my invitation with me. And I got on a bus, and it was uh, all kinds of people on a bus, and they were all coming home from work. And again, it was about seven o'clock at night, just before Christmas. There were Christmas shoppers and stuff, and I'm I'm on the bus. And I'm all dressed up. And I'm on my way to the bright Kentucky Hotel, see? <laughs> so <laughs> I'd never been inside of a place like that, you know? And, I, and I, I, I finally get off at my corner, and the wind is blowing, and it's cold. Oh, my God. And the snow is piling up. And down the middle of the block is this big, elegant hotel, which is kind of legendary. You know, it's like going to the Waldorf or the Stevens or something, you know, the bright Kentucky Hotel, which incidentally is not its name. So I arrive at the bright Kentucky Hotel, and I go into the lobby, and I'm, I'm just a kid. See, I don't know anything about this stuff. So I go into this lobby, and I don't—I I, I don't know what I expected. I guess I expected them to be having the party right there in the lobby or something. So I walk in, and there's a lot of people with with suitcases, and you know how it is in the lobby. And I'm standing around. Finally, a guy comes up and says, "What do you want, kid?" Because I apparently look suspicious or something, just sort of standing around. And it was a—it was the—it was the house dick. He comes up and says, "What do you want, kid?" And I said. Uh, gee, I got. Uh, gee, I, 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 I'm supposed to go to this party. He says, well, "What do you mean parties?" He says, "There's 50 parties here in this hotel. What what party are you going to?" So I reach in my pocket and I I take out this this uh, invitation. And I show it to him. He says, "Oh, that's up." He says, "That's up in the." Uh, he says, "That's in the uh, mezzanine ballroom." He says, "Over on the second floor, you take the elevator right up mezzanine ballroom." And uh, he says, "Okay, kid." So mezzanine ballroom. See, I never heard of mezzanine. That was something they had in the movie houses. See, I never, never knew they had mezzanines and buildings that weren't, you know, showing movies. So uh, I go over and I get in line. There's a tremendous crowd going in the elevator, and I get into this this mob, and up we go to the mezzanine floor, and I get off, and there's a lot of people up there, and there's 
cloakrooms and stuff like that. I've never checked anything in my life. I didn't know what to do. You know, I've got my sheepskin coat on and stuff. So I walk, I'm walking past this room with this little, this little, uh, uh, like a counter. See, and this woman says, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. You know how they are. Excuse me, sir. And I said, yeah, yeah. I figured, you know, she, she was going to take my, my, uh, my uh, invitation or something. I figured she's a favorite. Excuse me, sir. Uh, check your coat, sir. Says, excuse me, sir. I didn't know anything about this. And so I said, oh, oh, uh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I take off my coat and I give it to her, and, and I give her my hat. And I had this, I had this corduroy hunting cap that I was very proud of in those days. I had hair flaps in my corduroy cap. So I give her this cap, and she says, uh, uh, "She says, here, uh, don't lose this check." So she gives me the check, you know, one of these round things with the little metal, uh, with the little metal board around little white tags, number twenty-eight or something on it. She gives me the check. And I see a, a, I didn't know, I didn't know what, what to make it is. There was a platter there with all kinds of quarters on it. And, uh, of this, this, I didn't know. You know, I figured maybe, they, you know, you take a quarter or something. <laughs> it's, cause it looked like there were samples or something. I think I couldn't figure it out. So I start to, I start to walk away. I don't know what to do. And I start to walk away. I remember how embarrassing it was. And I, and I've got this little chick. She says, excuse me, sir. And I said, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, sir. She didn't exactly say where's the tip. She just kept saying, "Excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, excuse me, sir." At, uh, and uh, she's and other guys are hanging up coats now. And I see a guy take a quarter and he throws it in this dish. Well, I figure, uh oh, you know. So I, I'm supposed to put a quarter in the dish. So I here I was. I had no money at all. <laughs> I have a kid. I don't have any dollars, and I didn't. I didn't think it was bringing money to this party. Except, you know, I had I had like thirty cents for the bus. That's about it. See, so I reach in my pocket and I get my bus money. Remember, I'm like two and a half miles away from home. So I get all I got is my bus money. So I get my bus money. I got I got like thirty cents. See, so I give her a quarter. I put it in the corner. She says, "Thank you, sir." Oh boy. That's a, you know, that's a, a, a little that I realize that I am now entering the world of, uh, you know, the official people. I didn't know at the time, so I thought, oh, what a racket that is, you know, a quarter just to hang up my, my, my coat. Gee whiz, wow. So I go into the, the mezzanine grand ballroom, and it had these big glass doors, a grand ballroom, chandeliers hanging, and I can hear this music, and I walk in, and there's a, this tremendous crowd of people. Now, I thought it would be, you know, Mr. Snyder. I thought Mr. Grant would be there, Mr. Clevenger and, and uh, Evelyn and Dorothy and all those people. I see that I work the office. But you see, what I didn't realize was that this was like the whole outfit. There were like nine floors, see. And, and I always thought my office is my office. That's it, see. Well, there's thousands of people. I sort of walk in there. I'm a little embarrassed. I don't, don't recognize anybody. And as I go through the door, this, uh, there's a there's a, a desk set up there like a table and there's two girls sitting there and they they've got the corsages and stuff. There's always two very busybody girls who takes care of all the stuff in, a, in an office like that. She says, "Excuse me, uh, may I see an invitation? What what department are you from?" So uh, I'm from Mr. Uh, Mr. Snyder's office. Oh well, uh, may I see your uh, invitation, please? So I give him the invitation and she looks down the list. And uh, how many times have you checked into something? And you've always had this sneaking fear that your name will not be on the list. And that, that, that everybody else, the official people, their name is always on the list, but your name is always somehow mysteriously left off. So I'm standing there. And this is the first time I felt that fear. Here I am, you know, all of a sudden, 
that she's looking for my name on the list. Now, I didn't even work there anymore. <laughs> I didn't tell her that, though. So she looks down, and sure enough, she, oh, yes, yes, here, Mr. Snezov. Okay, she says, here. And she hands me something which was the first one I ever wore. And you know one of these little badges they give you? You know, my name is Ralph Applerot, and I work in accounting. Who are you? Ha, ha. And, uh, you know, they had little reeds and stuff like that, so I put the pin on. <laughs> now I got a pin, see? So I walk into this, into the scene there. Well, it was tremendous, see, but it was a great big room, and uh, I wasn't prepared in my mind for how big it was. And they had, over to one side, they had all this food laid out. It was like a, like a, well, like a, a smorgasbord or something like that, you know, like a cafeteria. They had all kinds of, they had all kinds of salami sliced up, and they had sliced turkey and stuff. Oh man, you know, I was really impressed. So uh, I, I walk over to this place uh, where I'm going to eat, and uh, I'm getting in line there with a, a whole bunch of people. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd comes Freddie Roller. Now, who is Freddie Roller? Well, Freddie Roller was the other office boy. There were two office boys in this office. See. And I, I was, uh, I was one, and Freddie was the other. Well, now Freddie had also gone back to school, and uh, Freddie, Freddie and I were, were exactly contemporaries. See, so Freddie had gone back to school, and and uh, he had apparently got invited too. So here's Freddie. I said, "Hi, Freddie," and he said, "Oh, oh, hi, how are you?" I said, "Hi, Freddie." He said, "Oh man, what a party!" He said, "Oh wow, it's really groovy." And I said, "Yeah, friend, what's what's going on?" He said, "Oh, you ought to see. Oh man, it's, it's Mr. Grant Stinko. Oh wow, you ought to see him over at a Christmas tree." And uh, wow, hey, Mr. Clevenger. So uh, I said, "Yeah, really?" He said, "Yeah, come on, let's go and get a drink." I said, "Drink?" He said, "Oh yeah, they're free drinks." Well, I didn't drink, you know. I was a kid. Either did Freddie Roller, by the way. So we go over, and and sure enough, they've got they've got this bar set up, and there's a guy behind, and he's just serving anybody who comes up and says, "Give me a drink." It's free drinks, see. So I go up to the to the bar, and there's thousands of other people. I finally get up there, and I said, I'll have a Coke. And he said, okay, I want Coke. And he puts a Coke in a glass, and Freddie gets a Coke. But, you know, the idea of a free Coke when you're 16 is pretty, you know, it's a pretty big thing. So I quickly drank the Coke, and I'm back in line. So I knocked down five quick Cokes because they were free, and I'm burping away there. And so me and, <laughs> me and Freddie go over, to the, go over to the food department now. Well, we get in line for the food, and they had these paper plates. And, uh, and we start walking down the line, and, and the guys, you know, there's a, they, they've got these guys that are catering the things. See, so they they're they're giving you the salami, and they're giving you the sliced turkey, and they're giving you the meatballs and stuff. So we get down at the end, and quickly, Freddie and I squat down in the corner. We eat our food like mad. Remember, sixteen year old kids, see, so we eat our food like crazy. We get back in the line again, and uh, we go through the line about three times. I, you know, it's free food. And in the meantime, of course, there's a great big crowd. The band has started to play. And they're dancing and stuff is going on. Well, it was about then that I began to suspect. Now, I just suspected. Now, it wasn't it wasn't the, a, a real thought. It was a suspicion. You know how man is? I think man is basically an animal. I mean, he has instincts. And I had suspected that this was not exactly what I, had, what I thought it was going to be. And there were strange things going on here. I see a lot of guys sitting around, they have a little table sitting around, and they're talking. And I began to recognize faces from the, from the mail route. And they, they, were, they were guys I didn't know who they were. They were just sort of big, fat-faced guys that sat at these various offices, and Mr. Clevenger's office, and Mr. Grant's office, and Mr. Snyder's office. There were all these different guys, these guys that wore suits and sat around and, 
and they drank coffee during the day and made phone calls and got a lot of mail and stuff. And they were grown-ups. See, they were very official types. But they're all sitting around now, and they're, they're drinking, and they, they've got, they, they're all drinking scotch. One thing that everybody seems to drink at, at office parties is scotch. I kept hearing them talking about scotch. Now, they never drank scotch at my house. My, my old man, if he drank anything, he drank beer. And once in a while, they drink bourbon. I always heard him talk about bourbon, but he never drank scotch. So these guys are sitting around there drinking this stuff, and they hear a lot of laughing and talking. And they'd start to wave it. Well, oh, hey, there's a kid over there. Hey, how are you? How are you? Got any mail for me today? <laughs> hey, uh, how about the, uh, how about the, uh, how about the frequency report? You got the report ready? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm walking around, and they see my tag, and I'm, I'm involved in the whole thing. And I, I start to, I start to circulate. Well, now, the, the first thing that I noticed that really got me was that nobody looked the way they looked in the office especially the girls. I mean, there was another ball game going on there, and I, and all these girls were walking around, and they had these real low-cut things. Man, I'll tell you, they had stuff going for them I didn't believe. And uh, a lot of the guys are yelling and hollering, and I'm just sort of wandering around, me and Freddie Roller, see? We're wandering around looking at the scene. Now, this, this was one big room, but it had, like, little side rooms off of it that had potted palms in them. They were, they were like little annex rooms that were attached. So we're wandering, and people were flow, overflowing into these little rooms and little corners all over the place, and the band is playing. And Freddie says, hey, he says, let's go back and get some more salami. I said, okay, Freddie. And so we get back in the line. We get our plates of salami. We got another Coke. And that's about all we could do, you know. We're not, you know. So uh, he, he says, let's, let's, go, let's go and look around and see what's happening. So the two of us walk around with our plates in our hands, and it was then that it happened that I began to see. In fact, I have never forgotten that basic premise that Christmas parties have nothing whatsoever to do with Christmas. That Christmas is an excuse. Fred and I are walking in one of the little annex rooms, and we came around a corner. Well, now, these annex rooms apparently were usually closed, uh, used for special functions, but because there were more people showed up than they expected... They had opened these extra rooms, and there were like little cloakrooms and stuff attached to these things. And Freddie and I are sniffing around, you know. We've got our, our paper plate full of salami and sliced turkey and our Coke in our hand. We turned the corner, and there, unbelievable, there is Mr. Clevenger. Mr. Clevenger is kissing, I mean, really. It was a fantastic scene. He is kissing Evelyn from Mr. Snyder's office. <laughs> and I saw it. See, we walk in, and I never thought of that. See, holy smokes, you know. And, I, and, and instantly, Freddie backs out. He says, hey, come on, for God's sakes. So the two of us back out, and they're, they're ready. You know, they, they were so deeply engrossed that they, <laughs> they did not observe that we had observed them. So we, we're, we're now, the whole thing has taken another turn. So we're now out in the mob again, and the Freddy is laughing. He says, oh, wow. He said, oh, man, Clevenger. Oh, boy, oh, man, Clevenger. He's really, well, <laughs> you know, he's cackling away, and I'm cackling away there. And uh, sure enough, we see Dorothy there, this chick, and she's got a black dress on. She looks fantastic. And uh, we're, we're milling around, and we're, we're, we're cackling about this. See, we're laughing about the whole scene. About two minutes later, it wasn't more than two, three minutes, because we had just made it back to the place where we were going to get another Coke, when all of a sudden there was a big... Well, you know the scene when you, when you hear a sudden hullabaloo? 
something happened. It's like a Something happened down at the other end of the ballroom. There's a lot of people, and here, here you hear a lot of yelling. <laughs> and, and Freddie and I ran back to the place, and sure enough, there is Mr. Clevenger. And Mr. Snyder has just knocked them flat. Mr. Clevenger is sitting on the floor, and his glasses are off. And, and he's holding his eye, or something, he's holding his face like that, and Evelyn is crying. And Mr. Snyder is saying, you get up and you try that again. I'll tell you, I'll just show you whether or not you're going to mess around with that girl. I'll, I'll show you, I'll show you what, I'll just, you get up. And all the people are milling around, it's a great big crowd. And, 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 and Freddie says to me, Mr. Snyder's drunk. Mr. Snyder was pie-eyed. But man, that's exactly what made him hit Mr. Clevenger. He's probably all of his life been waiting to hit me. Somehow he's had a fantastic hatred for Clevenger. And he finally caught Clevenger making a scene with Evelyn, and he just laid one on him. Well, he is, he is standing over him, and this great big crowd is milling around like that, when all of a sudden through the crowd comes another guy who was a guy who was downstairs in the accounting department. He grabs Snyder by the shoulder and says, yeah, you're going to hit a guy when he's down, right? And he belts him in the gut. Snyder's glasses fly off, and within 30 seconds, there were about nine guys swapping each other, and these girls were screaming. The band starts playing, and Freddie Roller and I ran out to the front of the place, and, and as we ran out, it was wild. Somebody had called, apparently, the management of the, of the hotel, because about five cops are rushing through the scene there, and, and people are laughing, people are crying and screaming. Somebody knocked over the bar. There's a lot of ice all over the floor. <laughs> well, I, I, I finally, you know, I figured I, I better, I better just leave. I, I didn't like the looks of things. I, somehow, it just, it just wasn't my scene. And so I, I said, Freddie, I'm going to go. And Freddie says, Oh, come on, man. He says, Stay. It's, it says, Whittle the bunch, Whittle the bunch comes up from the shipping department. I says, come on, Freddie, I'm going to go. She says, ah, you go ahead, you can, you, can, you can go if you want. So I did. I went out, and I, I gave her my check, and I got my coat, and I had to walk all the way home. I had no money. And the, and the, the sleet and the cold is coming down, and the rain, and it's colder, and oh, man, I want to tell you, go up the front steps, and I had wreaths hanging in those Christmas time, and my mother says, did you have a good time at the office party? I bet that was really interesting. I said, yeah, sure did. <laughs> I said, boy, I sure did. It was really interesting. I saw Freddie Roller. She said, oh, did you see Mr. Snyder? You remember Mr. Snyder you worked with? Did you, were you nice to him? I said, yeah. And, I, and I, instantly I remembered, you know, Snyder sitting there on the ground with his glasses off, and Clevenger sitting behind him with his glasses off, and three guys from the three guys from the accounting department slugging it out, and Evelyn crying. So yeah, it was very interesting. It was. It certainly was. And to this day, office parties' friends remained interesting. And uh, for those of you who may attend one this week or have just attended one, I'm sure that like the iceberg you recognize there was a hell of a lot going on under the surface that never showed above that choppy water so uh, Merry Christmas gang <laughs> Merry Christmas and be careful your jaw remember you know it's a dangerous time this is WOI New York we have the news coming up